May 19th, State of the Division, State of the NL East. I am your host, Ryan Finkelstein, also the host of Locked on Mets, joined as always by RM Layton, founder of Just Baseball and the host of the Just Baseball show, the Call Up podcast, and a million other properties over with Just Baseball. Uh, I want to jump right into something that I was texting you about at two o'clock in the morning last night. I just had to throw it out to you so I didn't lose the idea. Does it make sense for the New York Mets right now to say, let's not wait for the trade deadline. James McCann just broke his hand. Let's go all in and make our trade deadline deal now and get Wilson Contreras and bring him into this team. I, I, it makes it makes a lot of sense, man. It, it really does. Uh, I, I hate to say it. Um, I would like to think that the Cubs would want to extend Wilson Contreras, given that he's one of the only guys they haven't parted with from that, you know, core and, Ultimately, they've gone out and reinvested a little bit, uh, but in terms of their roster at this moment, but I, I look at the Mets and I'm like, that's a no brainer for them. That puts their offense. It's already a great offense that puts their offense up there with anybody in baseball. And you know what? He's he's attainable without Francisco Alvarez being traded without Beatty being traded. I think it would be probably a Mark Vientos, but given that he doesn't come with control, I, I think it makes sense. It's just really are the Cubs willing to do that? So here's the trade package that I throw out there. And I would try to get David Robertson in this deal also, because you're, you're trying to, to make that deadline deal now. And, and the piece I'd be moving is Ronnie Mauricio. So, so the way that I would look at it, which I know already uh, on the Mets end, you would love this trade because Mauricio would be going out. But, but the package that, that I think makes a lot of sense is a Ronnie Mauricio, JD Davis package. Uh, JD Davis still under control for two more years, I believe. You know, he could play first base for them, third base. DH. No, he helps they, them for sure. He, he does yeah. the Cubs. He, he kind of replaces what Contreras is doing for you just in the lineup, obviously not the position. Um, and Mauricio, for them, you're thinking about, you know, all those NL Central ballparks and the way he's going launch angle. I think he's a prospect that could be really interesting to them. So so that would be the, the, the kind of framework of a trade, in my opinion, would be a Mauricio Davis for maybe like a Robertson Contreras and I don't know if the Mets maybe have to throw in an arm in that deal. What do you think about the value for the Cubs? I think they, you got to throw in one more. I think you got to throw yeah. in one more. But although the way that Ronnie Mauricio is swinging it right now, I, I depending, I think he's in the eyes of the beholder. But there's there's probably some teams out there that still value him as a top 100 guy. And if he's swinging it the way he is right now, uh, now would be a great time to trade him. I think so. That is maybe the one position that you look at the Mets and that's a needle mover, right? Because the Mets. Across the board, you could get better. I think any team can get better. But what move can you make that actually changes, you know, the way the team looks pretty dramatically? I think for the Mets, that really only is the catching position. And, I mean, Contreras has been as good offensively as we've seen. It's a contract year for him. We saw the Mets okay with parting with a quality prospect for a rental last year. And that was when they were in fight-or-flight mode. This is a team that's in first place. I think they'd be even more willing to do it because they can justify it a bit more. And even if you don't think that you can keep Contreras, which it wouldn't really make sense to extend him, given that you have Francisco Alvarez, you know, coming up very soon. Uh, I think that's fine to give up a decent prospect or two uh, for a rental. They just did with Pete Crow Armstrong and Javier Baez. And look, the Mets are just fine, but PCA is doing quite well. Uh, over there in, in Chicago. So it, yeah. maybe it could, they could run it back there on another deal. I think it makes a ton of sense. I also think it'd be hilarious if the Mets sent Trevor Williams back to Chicago in the trade. just so they <laughs> Hey, you have... look good last outing. He did. You know, Chicago needs some arms. So it actually kind of would make sense. And I think that if you were to send J.D. Davis out, the other 
I think wrinkled out helped the Mets is you'd clear that spot up and you'd open the door for Vientos to eventually take that role on the current roster. It would be, you know, simply having Contreras replace the Jans McCann role, but, and, and also could potentially DH for the Mets a little bit as well. They've really struggled against left-handed pitching. So I think he'd help that. Um, it makes a ton of sense to me. So right now you're looking at a Mets offense that is sputtering as we kind of get into our typical state of the division talk. Um, you know, they finally lost the series when we were last talking, we said it would be hilarious if the nationals were the team that got them. It wasn't the nationals, but it was a sub 500 team in the Mariners. You actually saw some of those games. So what did you see uh, in the ballpark over the weekend? I mean, I, I saw a Julio Rodriguez show, you know, and, and that was one of the things, I mean, he, he really put them over the top almost on his own. Uh, you know, it was, there was not great pitching from either side. I think we're seeing the baseballs turn back to normal a little bit. So now pitchers are back to adjusting to whatever was working for them last year, maybe not pitching to contact as successfully. It was a little bit rough from, from um, you know, Carrasco in that one, but I really loved the fight still in that game. I mean, that's a game yeah. where you lose the series, you're down most of that game. You're playing catch up almost the entire ball game. And, and the Mets still put up a fight at the end there and were one check swing away from, from tying it up. And, you know, that is unbelievable. And, and that's what, that was one of those games where the Mets lost, you know, fans were obviously upset, um, but fans were almost like encouraged by the loss. And I, I know that moral victories are, are somewhat worthless and empty, but there was some level of just, okay, this team is never out of it. And that's what I felt even after that game. It was like, this team's going to be a problem all year. They never feel like they're out of it. And that's a characteristic of a winning team. And I thought that was very clear in that ball game. I was, I was really impressed with, with the fight, with the offense. And, and I think that the, the big X factor, the guy that's sticking out to me, man, is, is Jeff McNeil. I mean, Jeff McNeil yeah. is setting the table. He's a pest. He is going to grind you down and then really set it up nicely for the big boppers in the middle of the order. I think Starling Marte is starting to show signs of life. He's just a hair off. It's not like he's, he's whiffing. He's fouling balls straight back by like this much. Once he gets going, I, I really think things are going to look good. But all of a sudden, you know, Lindor's struggling again. And that inconsistency is a little bit, you know, frustrating, I think, from your 300 and whatever million dollar man, $341 million yeah. man. Yeah, the, yeah, the one extra. is very important to him. And you know, I think that says a little bit about him. Um, but yes. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, we saw over the last couple of weeks, really, but even, you know, last night where, where the Mets uh, end up splitting their doubleheader against the Cardinals. And I, we should mention we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, but again, it was a game where the Cardinals almost gave it away. There was a dropped uh, third strike that prolonged an inning. And then, as you mentioned, Jeff McNeil, I, I cannot for the life of me get why the teams are still shifting against him. It's like, are you watching the game tape this year? I don't understand why you would shift a guy that's choked up to the barrel too, right? Like he's choked all the way up. He could, he shoots the ball. He doesn't even take swings. Sometimes he takes like chops at it. It's Liz. That's great. what he did, love, that's what he did last it. night. It was to tie the game. You had a huge hole. You had Lindor on second. He just pokes a ground ball, like a, a normal, you know, ground out to your shortstop, but no one was there right through the hole and, and the Mets are able to tie the game. So I, I don't think I'm worried about a little bit of, of slowing down from the Mets. I think we, they've, they've proven up to this point that uh, we shouldn't be doubting them at all. And, and Jacob deGrom, you know, we're getting a little bit more clarity yeah. on his return. I don't think anybody was expecting it to be too soon. Um, and, and it seems like July, if I'm not mistaken, I'm is saying to me, I think after the all-star break, I think they're going to, because right now what the latest update was is that the MRI is clean. Uh, the scapula is healing. 
They're going to lengthen his throwing, but he's going to stay on flat ground for now. They don't want him on a slope just yet. I think they're going to be extremely cautious as they should, because right now they should have been more cautious before. Like, let's be honest. I think they rushed him back and I get it because it was, again, you're trying to survive last year, but he he had like three different flare ups last year. And it felt like there's like, Oh shoot, he's pitching already again. Like I had that reaction every time. I get it. I get it. I get it. But like, it's not too late. Take, take your freaking time. You got Scherzer exactly. now. You've got a team that is, has looked really good. You're in first place. Please, please let Jacob DeGrom take his time and ease back. Everybody wants him back. I want him back. And, and you know, I, I root for the Marlins. I want Jacob DeGrom back as soon as possible, but let's make sure he's as healthy as possible. But that's, that's just such a nice ace to have in your back pocket, uh, knowing that you're going to get the best pitcher on the planet, even if he's not 100% himself. If he's 70% of himself, what a boost that gives you. Even if he's only giving you five innings to start, what a boost that still gives you if you're the New York Mets. So still brighter days ahead for them uh, in terms of being able to add. I'll tell you right now, I would earmark whatever the first home start is after the all-star break as Jacob DeGrom's return date. I'd I'd mark that down now. I think that's that's what's going to happen here. Um, Let's move over to your Marlins. Uh, Since our last episode, they lost their series to the Diamondbacks. They lost their weekend series to the Brewers. But they've won their first two against the Nationals, handling business against a bad team. What I'm really interested about is their kind of road ahead. They're about to play two of their next three series against the Braves. I think that's going to be really interesting to see how they stack up. Because right now, all these teams, I don't know if the Braves won yet today, but as we're recording, they're sitting at 17 wins. So to see that separator between the other teams in the division right now. Exactly. It's going to be the division matchups that really give you the opportunity to separate here. And the Marlins are in a weird spot because – they show you signs of positivity, show you signs of things to get excited about. And then also you come around and you get some frustrations as well. You know, Jesus Sanchez starts the year as hot as possible. He's been ice cold, but then homers in the last game. Miguel Rojas has been ice cold homers in the last game. That's encouraging, but probably their best player this year so far offensively, not named Jazz Chisholm in Joey Wendell is hurt again. And I think it's going to be a little bit more time for him is that the hamstring flared back up. So that's an interesting situation. Brian De La Cruz is swinging it fantastic right now, but is he going to take at-bats away from Jesus Sanchez? I think he should, especially against lefties, but right now the Marlins are still sorting that out. Jorge Soler has been out of the lineup. I think he's dealing with a back, uh, but Sandy Alcantara is starting to heat up and starting to look really good. Pablo Lopez has been fantastic. Trevor Rogers continues to improve a little bit. Cody Petit has stepped in and only given up one earned run in 20 he- innings this year. Please, that? please educate everyone on who Cody Petit is, because he's one of these guys right now where it's almost like that Paul Blackburn article we had the other day, <laughs> where it's just like, who is this guy? And why is he carving up everyone he faces? I'll tell you what, Cody Petit is is not a bad pitcher. Like I, I don't think he's going to be a, a, a dominant starter by any yeah. means, but I do think that this is a middle relief spot start type of guy that could be really valuable. That swing man for you that continues to get better. And the Marlins have shown to be able to, develop change-up driven pitchers we've seen that time and time again right sandy with the change up trevor rogers with the change up pablo with the change up even like lazardo has mixed in a pretty good one like they have so many dudes that can throw really good change-ups from top to bottom Sixto sanchez when he's healthy as well edward cabrera also he's a change-up guy cody petit is he's throwing it 38 percent of the time more than any other pitch and it has just been dynamite for him so that's allowed the fastball to play up It's allowed the slider to work a little bit. And then he mixes in a sinker. So while he doesn't have elite stuff, he's got the great changeup as a baseline. And then he mixes in everything else. And, you know, I'm pretty sold on on him being a big league arm, which is saying a lot, given that 
you know, no one even knew who he was. And he was a fourth round pick in 2015. This is a guy that can help the Marlins. And, you know, all of a sudden the Marlins are digging into the Cody Petits of the world, which is crazy because we're saying, you know, how are they going to put together this whole rotation? How are they going to find, you know, five spots for all these guys? Well, here they are reaching for Cody Petit. So it shows you how quickly that, that, you know, depth can go thin with Jesus Lazardo now hitting the IL, but it looks like that's not too serious. It seemed more precautionary from what he said. Yeah, I think that the Marlins, I mean, to, to find another one, considering all the pitching talent they already had and what's hopefully on the horizon very soon. Any any Mayer updates or Mike Meyer updates? Max me. Meyer, uh, the, the Marlins moved his startup one day. Um, and, and from what, what I've heard is that internally, there is some like disagreement in the Marlins front office in terms of uh, how ready Max Meyer is. Some think he's ready now, some think he isn't. Uh, they moved his startup a day so that he would be timed up for, for the, his next start in Miami. And he got shelled in front of many of the team officials. Uh, and I don't know what that means for the long-term outlook now back-to-back starts where he's gotten shelled, but now we have two and a half years, almost of a sample size where he has been dynamite. What, what holds more weight? Uh, so it, it, it's interesting. It's a tough spot. Edward Cabrera is still working to get built back up. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do. I would still like to see Meyer at the big league level. I would like to see him, you know, working with Mel Stoudemire Jr., the Marlins pitching coach up there and just developing up there. I think he's good enough. But uh, right now I could see it going either way because with all the officials there and him not doing so hot, uh, the Marlins have a lot to figure out. But ultimately, you know, I think the pitching is always going to be good enough. Uh, I always think the pitching is going to keep them in ball games. The bullpen has been surprisingly decent. Uh, it's up to the offense. And right now, it's starting to show signs of life. Avi Garcia is starting to swing it a little bit. Jesus Aguilar is starting to swing it a little bit. So I, I do have some cautious optimism uh, for that brave series and moving forward for this Marlins team, but it, it will be a good test. It will be. And, and so let's, let's move over to the Braves here. You know, they uh, uh, potentially, let's see, let's get a Braves score update. Cause I, when I was looking before at the game, Oh, it's an extras right now. All right. So we'll see if they can win an extra inning game. They will uh, potentially beat the Brewers in this current series over the weekend. They lost against the Padres. Then they got those two of their next two against the Marlins with a series against the Phillies in between. So a ton of NL East baseball coming up for them. What I'm curious about with this Braves team, I know we talked about a little bit the other day, where are they at with Dansby Swanson this season? I mean, what do you do there? Is he the shortstop for just the remainder of the year and then you move on from it? Or is this an extension guy? I just don't know what to do. But his defensive metrics this year in particular have been unbelievable. He's like the best defensive shortstop in baseball when it comes to outs above average right now. I was just watching the game um, right now in, in Milwaukee before it went into extras, you know, and we hopped on the recording and, and he made another just dynamite play up the middle. He has he continued to get better and better and better defensively, which is awesome because it takes a lot of pressure off of his bat, which has not been great this year. It was great last year relative to what we're used to. But even then, even with the 27 homers last year, man, he was still a 98 WRC plus guy. So that's roughly 2% about below average. That's not uh, a, a top shortstop. Shortstops become a position where offense is, is very, very important, almost as important as the defense, if not more. Look at Xander Bogarts. He stinks at defense, and he plays shortstop every day. Uh, Tim Anderson, same story. So I, I do have a level of belief that, you know, Alex Anthopoulos is going to look for better bang for his buck because I, I do think that there's still going to be a level of of commanding a decent money after winning a world series, after being one of the best defensive shortstops in the game, I think he's still going to want to get paid a decent amount. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Braves approach that. They don't have anybody in the pipeline uh, that can play shortstop really in the near future. Um, so, you know, the grass is always greener. They have a great offense. 
maybe you just have that defensive minded Andrelton Simmons type. I don't think he's going to be that good for you, but at least you have a phenomenal defensive shortstop that, you know, do they need offense that bad from that position when you're getting what you're getting from Austin Riley at third, you're getting what you're getting from Matt Olson at first Acuna in the outfield. It's, it's a phenomenal offense all around. Maybe you can, you know, pallet the defensive first shortstop. I mean, look at some of the deals we just saw. Like, what if you got Trevor Story? How would you be feeling right now? Uh, because yeah. at least even when, when Swanson's not hitting, he's giving you elite defense. Uh, so I lean towards them keeping him. But I think if, if he wants more money and if another team's willing to give it to him, I think Alex Anthopoulos is very comfortable saying, we'll go find somebody else if you're not willing to sign for this price. Uh, I think that's been abundantly clear. And it's interesting because it's a, it's a different regime from Andrelton Simmons, but you bring him up. And if I remember correctly, when it was time for him to get paid, that's when they moved on from him. Um, so we'll see what happens uh, with the Braves on that. The, the third team that has kind of deadlocked in that second place behind the Mets so far this year is the Phillies. And we just had an article go up uh, today talking about that offense. And is that offense enough? And it's the same conversation we've been having dating back to the offseason. Some of the stats from that article um, that, that were really interesting to me, you have the, right now the six most runs scored in Major League Baseball, 172, six most home runs. So a fringe top five offense with a 109 WRC plus as a team, which is ninth highest. Then you have the fourth lowest bullpen ERA and uh, you're know, like the fourth worst defensive run save as a team minus 12. Um, I threw a, a, a tweet in that article showing off Kyle Schwarber's cannon of an arm, which was a play that, and this was actually a couple of weeks back where he came in on a ball. It was like the perfect play to throw on to get a runner out to the plate. And I don't even think he reached the infield dirt. What happened so, to that arm? He used to have a good arm. I don't I don't know what happened, but it's it's the same issues that we were talking about over the weekend. They take the first three in their series in LA against the Dodgers and score 29 runs. So that, we, that's how they have to win, though. And that that's is it, like, can you win? They would they outscored them 29 to 20, if I remember correctly. Something like that. Because yeah, their bullpen gave up a ton. Their bullpen yeah. gave up like double digit runs in that series. They could have swept. They could have swept. They didn't close it out. Corey Canable blew it, if I believe, if I remember yeah. correctly. I remember coming home um, you know, a little bit late and throwing that on, and it was on really late. And falling asleep on the couch and I'm watching Corey Knable blow that. And that, that, this bullpen, we, we see it time and time again, after that game, I tweeted out, when's the last time the Phillies had a good bullpen? When was Probably it? When they won the world series. And, yes. and I'm just assuming that you had to have a good bullpen to win a world series. But in my lifetime, I, I never remember the Phillies having a good bull. I can't even remember when they had a good closer. No. And I'll say this. I think the starting rotation is good enough. Good enough. Yeah. If you have an average bullpen with a closer, you trust. So, I think they've got to find a way. I think the pitching has been a pleasant surprise. Really, it has. Even though Wheeler hasn't been Zach Wheeler, I think overall the pitching has been a pleasant surprise. If they can kind of bolster up that bullpen, their outlook changes a lot. Shorten the ball games, right? Then you only need five innings from Noah. Then you only need five innings from Eflin. But right now they need seven innings from the starters because I don't really trust any of their relievers. That's where they're at right now. I think they can go get relievers, no problem. Um, right now, it's a little early to strike on that market. But the offense is good enough. Right? If they hover around the top six, they're good enough. But right now, as it stands, this team is, is just not built to win. Combine the bullpen with the defensive struggles, which, by the way, is it bad that fourth worst in DRS is better than I thought they would be? <laughs> like, I, I thought yeah. they'd be dead last by a lot. Actually, I think I did the I did the math wrong there. Third worst. They're 28th. Still, so third. <laughs> still, still way better than I thought. I, I thought they would have been dead last. 
equivalent to, like I've said, a beer league softball team. So like that's, that's not good passable, but when you have bad defense and a bad bullpen, you are going to blow a lot of games in a 162 game season. You cannot win those big games down the stretch. And we know that'll kill them in the postseason. right now. I'm not taking the Phillies. I mean, I'm taking them seriously, but I'm not counting them as a legitimate threat until they get two legit bullpen arms there. You know, they go out and get an established reliever and another, you know, solid reliever. It's crazy to say two relievers could change the, the tide for a team, but Phillies might be the most extreme example of a team that could really change their outlook with two bullpen arms. They need it. And I, I was just looking up Billy Wagner last pitched for the Phillies in 2005. I feel like that's the last time they had a good closer. Also, I, I think comparing them to the Mets and what we've seen this year is every single day, the Mets have at least two of Lindor and McNeil or Lindor and Guillaume in the infield, and they have Marte and Nemo in the outfield usually. So there's plus defenders all over the place. And it just, it, it really does widen that margin of error for you because, you know, even when your pitchers aren't doing great, you see Starling Marte or even, you know, there, there's been plays where uh, Marte will back up a throw and gun down a runner at third or, or Guillaume or McNeil are making these incredible plays at second base. So that that defense is something that we always forget to talk about. We just look at the, the nine names in the lineup. We look at who's starting each day. And the, the Phillies did a great job of assembling that when it comes to their fantasy lineup. But <laughs> I mean, great MLB the show team. It is. Look, I would love to play with them. You know, maybe we'll do that on Twitch. We'll, we'll see yeah. how great we can make the Phillies on the show um, because in real life, I just don't see it coming together. No. And Corey Knable is a great seventh inning guy. That can't be your closer. No. That just can't be your closer. So I, I think they need to go out and find that legitimate closer. Um, you know, maybe they can try to buy low on a Mark Melanson, but he's been terrible. Um, you know, they, they got to figure something out, but again, I don't see a team really parting with the closer until later in the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Phillies approach it. They definitely need to do something and I expect them to. Is, is there any pitching prospect that might even be a starter that they could just like rush to the big leagues to try to help? Like, is there any like high, high velocity stuff guy that can just get thrown into the fire, which probably isn't a good thing to do for your farm system, but I'm just curious. Well, I don't think they care about the farm system too much. Right. <laughs> so like, I, I honestly, like it's, it's very thin in the pitching department. It, you could maybe give a nod to Francisco Morales, but they've already kind of tried that. He's already been up for a couple outings this year and he walked a couple of guys right out of the gate. He has one save this year. That might be the guy if he gets better as the season goes on um, that could end up helping them as a Francisco Morales, but outside of him with the fastball slider, uh, they, they don't really have much else. So uh, I would love to see them go out and make a move. Uh, please just go get some relievers and make this division a little bit more interesting. It'll be uh, pretty fascinating. And the last little bit of news here that we want to talk about, although I don't know how much either of us are really buying into these reports. Uh, Buster Olney on Wednesday said that the Nats would likely set a really high price, which I mean, no shit <laughs> on one Soto. Uh, he'll become a free agent after the 2024 season, but rival executives believe the San Diego Padres and Toronto Blue Jays would be motivated suitors and that he could be moved this season. First of all, what do the Padres have unless they're trading to tease? To, to land Juan Soto. I mean, the, the, the package has to be so astronomical that I just don't see it getting done. I wrote an article for us back in January about this, just talking about the decision they have to make. It's kind of Bryce Harper reincarnated here. Uh, but to me, it's just sign the dude. I mean, that's what I think needs to happen here. Yeah. So here's the thing is, is I talked, we talked about this on the just baseball show. And like, I was saying, you know what, realistically, it could make sense to tr just, just to listen you know, because if a team really gives you a package that you like 
love these players. I think you can change your franchise. Maybe you listen. Only reason I say that is because the national system is not good at all. And their current big league talent crop is very thin. But I mean, we're talking about a guy that, you know, is, is once in a, in a generation type of hitter. I think you, you extend him and you figure out the rest, right? Like that's what you've got to do here personally. And, and I don't really buy that the nationals aren't going to pay this guy. I, I know they didn't pay Harper. I know they didn't pay Rendon, but I think that was almost part of the reason why. And, and I think they're going to see a Strasburg coming off the books eventually, not anytime too soon, but eventually, and they're going to see a Patrick Corbin coming off the books. And remember, Soto comes with years of arbitration. So the, the deal is going to be heavily backloaded. They'll find a way to make the money work because there, this would be the most insane trade package in the history of baseball. And in my mind, there's only about four teams that can satisfy that. One of them obviously being the Dodgers. And if the Dodgers approach you and say, Hey, you know, we'll give you Bellinger. We'll give you, you know, several top prospects and, and, you know, just this crazy crop. Maybe you think about it. Uh, but unless you're getting four close to big league ready pieces, those trades rarely work out for, for the team that's taken in the prospects. Just statistically speaking, it's going to be hard to get value on, you know, what is basically the modern day Ted Williams. Can I give you like the perfect comp for this, in my opinion, which is obviously a trade you're familiar with, which is the Miguel Cabrera trade. At the time, the Miguel Cabrera trade, they get Cameron Mabin and Andrew Miller who were, I mean, you know, clear top Consensus 100, top, top prospects. 10, even probably I mean, like with proximity these, that, that had already hit. These weren't high A guys. These are guys that mashed and shoved through double yep. and triple. They were big league ready. And they came up and they both flopped for the Marlins. And, mm-hmm. you know, they both ended up having pretty decent careers, but not in Miami. Meanwhile, Miguel Caprera has had the, one of the, the greatest careers of all time in Detroit. And even though, I mean, the Tigers never quite got all the way and won a World Series, right? But they, the, the amount of success they had on the front end, oh. even now, Miguel Cabrera is the best thing about the Tigers this season at yep. almost 40. I mean, to me, you just don't give up on these guys. You let Juan Soto be your face for as long as he's playing baseball. And, and I, you know, I think it's one of those where it's like people are starting to suspect, oh, because they didn't pay their other guys, they will probably won't pay Soto. Soto still hasn't gotten extended. He turned down 350, blah, blah, blah. It's an easy report to just say, hey, you know, the nationals could do this. Look, they, they wouldn't be doing their job properly if they didn't listen, because again, if, if a team comes across and gives you some insane offer of big league, young talent and some insane prospects, then maybe just maybe you could make it, you know, you can make it work. You'd be dumb not to listen. You should listen to every single call you get. Um, but that doesn't mean that he is on the block. That doesn't mean the nationals are looking to deal him. And I'm not going to buy that uh, until basically we are hearing specific details of deals, you know, and I don't think we're going to be hearing specific details anytime soon because I don't think it's ever going to get that far. I don't think so either. But as far as the on the field product, I mean, let's make it pretty simple. The Washington nationals came in last in our most recent power ranking. So that's kind of the current state of this team. Uh, You know, shout out Josh Bell, shout out Josh Bell though. And you know what? Josh Bell is, this is probably one of the best developments for the nationals this year. Because guess what? We went into this year. I'm like, what tradable assets do they have? Josh Bell was one of the only guys. And I was like, that's not even that great of an asset. He might not now be able to net them at least a top 100 guy, um, yeah. which is a huge, huge development for a team that needs uh, that needs the talent really, really badly. Um, one last thing I'll say on Soto. 
what if somebody was willing to take on like Strasburg's contract as part of the deal as well? <laughs> Optically horrible, but that's a good way to, to increase the value as much as possible. Would Steve Cohen just eat Patrick Corbin <laughs> eat and Strasburg? Strasburg just, just, just trade for him and cut him immediately. Half a billion dollar payroll. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a way to make it work. But, uh, you know, we, we talked about this. The, the last thing we'll say on this with the Nationals, the offense is, is not that bad. No. Kind of like the yeah. Orioles. They're yeah. kind of like that, not quite as talented offensively, but they're like the Orioles where, you know, you catch them on the wrong day, they can outslug you. Yeah. But they're definitely not going to put up zeros. <laughs> no, no. Uh, unless you're Josiah Gray on the right day, uh, it's pretty futile when it comes to their pitching right now. And, and things are going to get worse because they're about to face the Brewers and the Dodgers. So they're about to lose a lot of games. It's next to upcoming week here. Yeah. Um, but the Marlins, they got to take care of business against the Nats, hopefully sweep them. Um, and then it's going to be fun to see how, when we get the division matchups, how teams start to separate themselves uh, in that second place scrum right now. Going to be uh, really interesting to see for sure. That was this week's State of the NL East on the State of the Division podcast. We've got Central coming your way tomorrow. 